guys, welcome to episode 26 of Sound Pollution. This week I am interviewing the Kentucky Beatniks, uh, which are Jen and Nick. This is a longer and less edited down episode for two reasons. Uh, the first one being that Jen of the Kentucky Beatniks also does radio herself and said she wouldn't over edit it. So I'm going to take her advice on that. And two, um, I had what was supposed to be a simple tooth extraction that ended up being not so simple. And I'm in quite a bit of pain and talking is sort of painful. There will also probably due to this not be a live this Monday as well. Anyway, I think this is a great episode. They just went so smoothly. They were both so professional. They really knew what they were doing, which made it super easy for me to do my job. They share a couple fantastic tracks with us. Uh, please stay for the whole interview. Like I said, I know it's longer, but you're really going to enjoy it. Uh, they actually share three tracks instead of two. So without further ado, here are Jen and Nick, the Kentucky Beatniks. You guys, why don't you tell my listeners a little bit about yourselves? Hi, y'all. My name hi. is <laughs> Hi, my name's Nick Payne, and I'm one half of the Kentucky Beat Knicks. And uh, I'm really happy to be with y'all today. Thank you. Um, I'm blessed to be a part of this duo with Jen Yates, who is an extraordinary drummer. Um, and I am a vocalist and pianist and guitarist and percussionist. Um, <laughs> Literally everything. He does it all. Yeah. He <laughs> and, and a songwriter and we both write songs and, uh, and we love doing our own versions of, of cover songs and things like that as well. So we're just, uh, some fun loving musicians from Louisville, Kentucky. Jen, you want to introduce yourself? Sure. My name is Jen Yates, and I am the other half of Kentucky Beatniks with Nick Payne. Uh, I have spent most of my life playing drums since I was about two or three years old. So, uh, and I knew Nick for a long time. We were both in the Louisville music scene, and I had gone to many open mics that he had hosted, uh, as, as well as uh, events, Church on the Rocks with the Troubadours of Divine Bliss. That's how we met. And then, uh, you know, uh, life opened up a path where we could create together and we tried it and it was pretty awesome and uh, we've just been working together ever since i love the videos you guys put out so you just kind of like we're always both in the music scene and just it crossed paths and that's how that's it exactly we both have been Kismet. playing since we were kids yeah that's yeah. awesome mostly i did solo stuff um i played in some other people's bands i had some awesome opportunities through the years to back up people like tania sanders and andrea davidson and the troubadours of divine bliss um and you know kind of do cooperative musical things with some awesome folks like that um but when me and jen kind of decided to um strike up our own project that you know, was something totally different because of the way that we complement one another. Um, I wasn't playing backup for her. She wasn't playing backup for me. We were really, you know, it's a, it's a e equal duo kind of arrangement where we both get to highlight our talents and we both get to write and provide vocals and things like that. Um, so, yeah, 
it's I, it's really I awesome. I do love that about you guys. It's not like somebody's in the back, somebody's in the front. You're like right there together. And that's really, really, you don't see that a lot. Usually right. yeah. there's a hole, there's this guy over here, this guy over here. This is really neat how you do it. How would you describe your sound to somebody who hasn't heard you before? Uh, <laughs> basically, it's a mash of everything. I'm sure Nick can answer that a lot, a lot more better than I can. But it's mm. literally, mm. our influences are everywhere from starting out in churches and gospel stuff to literally hip hop to classical. I mean, everything in between is included in what we do. And I think we pull from yeah. all, all kinds of influences. Nick, I would how say, would you? I would say we're kind of like, uh, you know, a hillbilly soul funk. Um, you know, we've got some Americana gospel roots uh, for sure. I grew up playing music in church. Um, and like Jen said, we both have such a rich love for so many different types of genres. I think anytime that you come to one of our shows, it's kind of hard to fit us into a genre it is, um, yeah. because we're, we, we dance around so many different styles of music and different mm -hmm. types of things. Um, but one thing that is very consistently running through that is just soul music and playing from the heart and doing it from a place of just really loving the music and wanting to share that love of music with people who are there to experience it along with us. Yeah. And I want to add to that. I have done a lot of duos in the past with different artists uh, and being a drummer mainly, uh, which is the one thing I've always done consistently and is what I excel at is mostly percussion. Mm -hmm. um, I, percussion is usually an accompaniment instrument. Like I have to be with other people. And it wasn't until very recently that I decided to start doing solo stuff myself. I had never been a vocalist on anything, but I loved hip hop growing up and salt mm -hmm. and pepper and all, that whole like Moni Love and, you know, Queen Latifah was putting records out back then and K Little Kim, like I, that was my influence vocally um and then we just like nick is such he excels at vocals and all the other instruments that everybody i was around kept telling me to use my vocal more and making me do it on stage so the one thing i love about working with nick is that you're right we are side by side usually the drummers in the back yeah. uh, in the in the 40s and 50s <laughs> the drummers were always in the front it's uh, something that's changed over time so i was on a mission to kind of bring that back and being with nick just made that happen magically on its own yeah. so it's really cool and despite my um you know station as a vocalist and i've been singing in front of people since i was three four years old i still am gripped by this performance anxiety you know and there are just times when um when i get really nervous or i mm -hmm. feel you know just anxiety will take over me and having Jen, you know, we're kind of hand in hand and we're standing next to each other when we're doing this. So it really fortifies the strength overall of the performance. And it it makes me a stronger vocalist. It makes me more capable of doing what I love to do, 
um, because she has my back, you know, and she even in in her own way, you know, she's not maybe harmonizing with me in a conventional like bluegrass kind of vocal or gospel kind of vocal, but she accents my vocal with her own style and it's unique and it doesn't sound like anyone else. So I really enjoy what we create. So I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, go for it. As somebody with anxiety, I totally understand what you're saying. So having that partner with you is is helpful with it. You don't get quite as bad or does she, do you like catch it? Can you kind of tell when he's starting to get anxious? (laughs) Sometimes I can, you know, as, uh, as we work together more, I can. And I actually was diagnosed with an anxiety disorder from a very young age. So I get it too. (laughs) (laughs) We're all in good company. And it's weird when it hits me, it'll hit me when I'm playing to five people instead of like thousands, you know what I mean? It's very odd how performance anxiety works and I haven't figured out the formula, but just like Nick said, I'm not a main vocalist, but I would never be like, Hey, I'm a vocalist, but I accent, as you can hear in most of our tracks, Nick in an interesting way. And if he does have performance anxiety, then I can go to electronic hip hop samples and start doing hip hop vocal stuff, you know, mashups, things like that, just to kind of take it away from him and bring it over to me for a minute so he can catch his breath. And, and, you know, I totally get it. Yeah, It's a hard thing to battle. And even people like Adele, I mean, will say that they throw up before they go on stage, you know. Really, Simon (laughs) still does it. Yeah. 100%. Well, there's an element of uh, performance anxiety that I've always gotten as well, being a queer artist um, and wanting to be authentic in that way. Um, Some of the first songs that I ever wrote, some of my solo material, um, you know, comes from a queer perspective. And it was shaky ground for me. I was really putting my self out there in a vulnerable way um, that, you know, sometimes I would get hired to play a gig at a bar in the Highlands, Mm -hmm. you know, and most of the people there are kind of like straight people or frat boys or something like that. Um, And some something that my union with Jen has really strengthened me a lot is, you know, having both of us be queer artists Mm -hmm. and we can represent and hold that space for one another and really support one another in that way. And it, it helps give me a lot of confidence just to be myself, to have her there with me. So I love that. And same for me too. You know, I have been an out artist for quite some time. I mean, I was out for a long time and then I started to come out vocally in my music to put that out there, you know, and started playing women's music festivals across the country with all these openly queer artists. And so, you know, they would always say that this to me, they would always say, how are you from Kentucky? and you're gay. (laughs) That's what they would say, (laughs) you know, and I'd be in LA or something. And they were like, I was so bizarre to them because I was kind of a country hillbilly Mm -hmm. from Kentucky who was also gay. And they're like, you know, we just don't, you just, they don't think about people being gay in Kentucky, you know? And so think about (laughs) Kentucky. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Well, they think we're all hillbillies and barefoot and pregnant, you know what I'm saying? But so when, when, When I got with Nick, it was really cool because I was like, man, we can really represent queer artistry. We can represent Kentucky. We're totally different. You know, he's a gay man. I'm a gay female. It was just this really cool, magical, special thing. And even when he was talking about it, I got chills when he said queer artist, you know, because we do 
represent that community and I'm very proud to do so, you know, and, and he makes me very comfortable in that sense too. Yeah. Well, thank God that that's, we've made a lot of work, I think in that part socially, because, you know, you know, I, I don't know how you go old you guys are, but I'm in my late thirties and that's how I'm I'm 40, (laughs) 42. Right. And so like, you know, it's, it doesn't seem like that long ago that you couldn't say that. You couldn't say that. Yeah. Kid. Right. It, it wasn't that long ago. You couldn't say that in school. You couldn't. Yeah. Like it was, you, especially in this part of America. Mm-hmm. It is what it is. Mm-hmm. It's a sad but true. It, the fact that you can, at least... I think there's a positive in that. And I'm really grateful that you're out there representing yeah. that because I think we need yeah, a little bit more of that. I agree. Um, and I have, oh, sorry. I have always been, I have always, I've always been, um, once I was out, I was out full force. You know what I mean? Right. Like they didn't want me in the country no more because I was out loud and proud. So, uh, to be able to do that and to be, you know, in that space and be okay, people be okay with it. I mean, I never cared if they were okay with it. They're going to have to be if they want to be in my space. You know, that's how I looked at it. Mm-hmm. But I, I also wanted to say this, and then I'll let Nick give his spiel on it. Um, I did get to play several times with Shelly Wright and Ty Herndon, both of them huge country yeah. gay artists that came yeah. out and were ridiculed by the Nashville kind of music scene. It's different. It's changed now. But, you know, to see artists like that still have a platform at Prides and stuff like that was a really big step. And I've, you know, had discussions with them about how that felt. And I can't imagine how that would feel because to me, I've always felt accepted on stage musically, mm-hmm. you know, and by, by all types of people across the, you know, red, blue, black, white, you know, straight, gay, it didn't matter, you know, because I was just being authentic and playing music authentically. Yeah. I was just adding to what y'all had said, you know, about um, that, you know, um, it sort of being taboo or unacceptable to some extent. And I have, you know, I'm, I'm already a ball of nerves and, you know, I'm, I'm like put my, my heart is totally out on my sleeve when I'm performing and I'm so vulnerable. I just can't help it. The way that I sing is very much like an opening. It just breaks me open. And, um, you know, I've walked off stage and had people comment things like, you know, um, you you might find a little more success if you refrained from using specific pronouns in your songs Um, like things like maybe singing about love and saying he or you know something like that and uh, I mean that that was a decision that I really did have to make that you know I was like I don't really care what you think. I'm going to sing what is uh, authentic to me. And besides the songs that I write that contain, you know, those types of references, uh, a lot of the songs that I love to cover and a lot of the musicians and singers that I look up to and who influence me are females, uh, female songwriters. So Amy Winehouse, oh, you know, yes. Nina Simone, Dolly Parton, like all over the place. Um, and when I represent those songs, I'd like to sing it the way that they wrote it. 
you know, I don't have to change it to make it heteronormative so that someone at a straight bar can be comfortable with the pronouns that I'm using. Um, I just want to do it from my heart and do it authentically. And if I'm not singing my own song, then I want to pay a very authentic and rich tribute to the person who wrote the song. And that's why you're such a good performer. It really you. is. Because you yeah. can tell, you can tell that. Yeah, I feel it deep in my soul. Yeah, I was going to say, and too, I, I feel like, uh, you know, the vocalist, the one that's, even though we're side by side a lot of times, the vocalist is so exposed to to the audience, you know what I mean? Where I'm behind a drum set, so I'm kind of encased, and I feel like it's a little bit of a hidden aspect for me, even though I'm, you know, being seen. But the vocalist, for some reason, always, man, when you're authentic like Nick is, and you're singing from your heart and pouring it out in front of people, I mean, you're so vulnerable. You have to be, you know what I mean? Yeah. You're right there exposed, you're exposing it all. So it's pretty magical to see. Uh, and I love playing with Nick and seeing him do that you know there was a well I don't remember it was a video I saw and he you guys went into a Whitney Houston song and I I apologize I've been on Benadryl for like a week it's okay so like names and please bear with me I'm not usually this stupid um I don't remember which one it was but like it was just really beautiful and at first I was like is that Whitney and then I was like, oh, yeah, it's Whitney. And then you, Jen jumped in with some drums, and I was like, oh, I cannot wait for Corona to be over. <laughs> right. <laughs> Thanks. Um, oh, I will say good. one thing that I absolutely love about playing with Nick uh, <laughs> is the fact that, and I've played with so many different people we both have, you know, over the years in different types of bands and lots of different cover bands and different original, uh, and both being an original artist. Um, you know, is that he never will ever cover a song exactly the way it is. No, we it always a split second, and then I right. was like, "Ooh!" <laughs> and I guarantee that was probably I want to dance with somebody because that, was. yeah, that song is just a song you can play for any crowd in any room. It always works. Uh, it always makes people want to sing with you. They want to dance with you. They just there's something just magical about Whitney in that song, but. Again, back to the reason I, another reason I love to play with Nick is that, you know, we might be in the middle of some Janelle Monet song and he goes hmm. into some kind of shaman, shaman chant, you know, a Sanskrit <laughs> and, and then goes into some sort of, you know, spiritual Holy Ghost movement type of something. And then we'll end it with some Lil' Kim or, you know, or whoever. It's just like, you just never know where we're going to go. And it's so different. And I... Uh, have always craved that when I'm looking to work with other people. Um, I've been in so many groups that had to play it exactly like, and I was never that person. Even in musical theater, when I had a score in front of me, you know, I always worked with musical directors that would let me go off that score a little bit and trust mm -hmm. me, you know, to not play it exactly the same, just like was written. And I thrive in that original kind of feel even if you're doing a cover doing it yeah. your own way there's there's, there's a, about it. a real beauty and uh, you know i have a lot of admiration for people who can play things by the book you know classical artists and people who are able to emulate the original arrangement and to create a song in such a way that 
it's really mirroring precisely what was written by the original artist. But I'm an untrained musician. I grew up just, you know, just playing by ear on the piano. I taught myself to play piano. Um, and, and, you know, I say that lightly. I taught myself to play piano and guitar, but I had the, this blessing of being surrounded by people in church, um, you know, other musicians who would show me little things that I would soak up. Um, but my point being, I don't, I don't see myself as someone who's particularly capable of performing something exactly the way it's written even if I have like the sheet music or the score when it comes out of me it's going to have my own nuances and a lot of that comes from you know the way that I learned to play music is my own way so the song is going to come out in my own way and generally that's more authentic I feel it more it, 100%. it's happening it yeah. taps into my spirit and opens my heart a little more when I'm doing it from, you know, my own source. Yeah. And that's where the magic lies. I mean, you know, even if we're watching like American Idol or The Voice today, we don't want someone to mimic Adele. We want them to sing Adele in their own way, in their own unique way. We are always craving to find that unique artistry. And I will say from being someone who's been very trained in music and can read books and you know and scores and stuff like that um i crave to work with the original artists who are the true artists that pull from creativity side and and there seems to be a really interesting dynamic that i love to talk about that is i've worked with super super trained people by the book and like 90 percent of them could never sit down and write a song and be original and find creativity in their work but mm -hmm. The ones like Nick and like Beverly McClellan, who I worked with, and mm -hmm. uh, the 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 uh, true original artist who grew up, most of all of them grew up, had no training, sat behind a piano, got creative, and the and they're brilliant. You know, that's where the magic lies. It's just that creative. I would much rather find an artist in that creative realm mm -hmm. that was not trained than to work with people who were trained that had no artistry about them or creativeness. It's a really interesting dynamic. It is. And since we're talking about how, how trained you are and the people that you've worked with, you're in a book, aren't you? Yeah, I'm on the cover of the first book ever written on women drum set players alongside my idols, uh, Sheila E. Viola Smith, <laughs> Blackman Santana, who drummed for Lindy Kravitz and is married to Santana. Allison Miller's on there, Debbie Peterson, the founder of the Bangles, and I've met most all of them. I didn't get to meet Viola, but by the way, Viola, who the book was mainly written about, was 107 this last year, and she died Aww. in October, and she died holding that book in her arms. No shit. Oh, yeah, no chills. I got chills too, and I got to meet oh. Sheila E as well, and she autographed my book, who I grew up like watching. So it's been a very magical thing. That book is written by a lady named Angela Smith, and uh, of Austin, Texas, and she um, 
found me online teaching autistic kids, saw my YouTube work, wanted to know if I'd answer some questions and send in a bio, which I did in a photo. And then I saw, I had no idea. You're like, surprise. I was going to be chosen. <laughs> no, I saw, I saw Sheila E posted on Facebook. That's no how shit. I saw it. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dying over here. Yeah. So, so was I. I still oh. am. Yeah. So I anyway. To, I got to see Lenny Kravitz play and I got to see his drummer do like. The a female? Trip. Yes. Yeah, that's she her. Cindy like, Blackman Santana. She She's did like married a 10 minute drum solo that I am not going to lie to you was the most magical thing I've ever seen. And he he is an amazing performer, by the way. And he literally, <laughs> he stepped all the way to the side of the stage and was just like, do you? <laughs> <laughs> when I was a kid, I saw him come out with, are you going to go my way? And oh, she had that big old fro. And him. I was like, who is this lady? And then I come find out I'm on a book with her. And by the way, she just married Santana and tours with him now. So. Aww. She's doing quite all right, and she is yeah. a badass. Cindy Blackman she Santana. a badass. Yeah, get that no book idea. on Amazon. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to, like, drop that in the description. <laughs> Thanks. Yes, but I, I, I was, like, I was texting. I'm going to edit this out. I was texting Kelly earlier, and I was like, dude, I don't think I should Google people before I interview them. <laughs> <laughs> it's hilarious. Like, why? And I was like, because I am suddenly really fucking nervous. <laughs> <laughs> dude, can I just tell you something real quick? There's been so many times where I got to work with somebody who I was like, I don't know who they were. I didn't know who Julie Wolf was, and she hired me, and I'm working with her, and we're already in, like, three deep rehearsals for this show that's going to last for three months and i go google her and i'm like she toured with donnie defranco and played on almost every record little plastic castles and all of them oh, went on to tour with the indigo girls produces carol king i'm like you know what i mean i freaked yeah. out after i googled her so, but it was like way after that i even had a clue who she was Vicky randall was the same yeah, I was like, well, I was glad I Googled her because I'm like, oh, now I should take her a little bit more seriously, you know? But, but, you know, it was just crazy. That's happened several times. I wonder if she, like, later was, like, she was acting weird. I think she Googled me. I think she figured it out. <laughs> Maybe. You know, Julie's a Gemini, so she kind of, she's an air sign. So I doubt I she that. even thought about that. But Vicky Randall, probably. Vicky was another one. I was on stage playing with her and I was like, this chick just plays everything. She's just a badass. And I go back in my tent at Michigan Women's Music Festival. And I was like, I'm going to look her up. Oh, she's on Whitney's I Want to Dance with Somebody. On backing vocals, she toured with Whitney, Quincy Jones, Mavis Staples, Lionel Richie. I mean, she's on, like, all of the Aretha Franklin's Who's Zoom and Who, Pink Cadillac. I was like, are you kidding me? I'm on stage with this girl, and I'm playing drums. And she's <laughs> it was just crazy. <laughs> Yeah, I think I she realized after that that I'd Googled her for sure. <laughs> I was like, I was like, I'm gonna have to stop doing that, but I don't want to stop doing that because don't. like, yeah, you, I want to know who the hell I'm talking to. I yeah, mm -hmm. that's so funny. Yeah, well, don't edit this out. That's the best part. <laughs> I won't. But I was like, why don't. the hell did I do that? And she's laughing. She's like, they're just human. They're the sweetest people you'll ever meet. Just don't worry about it. And I'm like, yeah, uh, she's on the cover of a damn book. Oh, yeah, I was like, but I'm, I'm one of the cool, hey, I'm just as shocked as you were, trust me, I still am, I'm like, I, you know, it's just mind-blowing, but I'm very appreciative and very humble, my father reminds me daily that I best be humble. 
Yeah, you don't want that to go away. No. So I'm going to jump into the music here just a little bit. Tell me about, first off, this video is adorable. I just throw it out. Anybody, <laughs> anybody who's listening to this, I'm going to need you to go YouTube this. I'm going to drop it in the descriptions. The COVID hustle. <laughs> I love how like, chick, like, cut out. I think it was Dolly. It was it's Dolly. Yeah. Like, in, behind you guys in the, I can't. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> I loved it. Hey, by yeah. the way, I own that bus. That's my bus. I, I call it. her. I call her to Wanda. She's a 73 Volkswagen Tampa bus. I don't know, Nick. I'm going to let you start that one. Yeah, so that was, I would say that's one of the few songs that I've ever written where it was like, let's write a song about XYZ. You know what Uh I mean? Um, I mean, you know, you have feelings or vibes or emotions or maybe you write a breakup song or something like that but those are feelings and um so Jen and I we had actually been working on writing together for a while I think we had the track to that song for months probably a year before we came up with that song and we kept coming back to that we're like we need to use that track for something and um then we both just agreed we're like let's write a song about you know what everyone is going through which um was the pandemic and uh and then we you know we just kind of incubated on it we sat together had some writing sessions and we just kind of sat and free wrote and we listened to the track and we sang different things and you know, then we kind of refined it uh, down to a song. But one of the main things that we wanted to do, you know, we didn't want to make it like a really tragic uh, track, which Mm -hmm. obviously about something so serious it could have been. And um, technically in the song, I am expressing um, a little bit of anxiety about the elders in my family who are at risk. Um, but I do it in kind of a tongue in cheek way. And, yeah. you know, it's a little more c- comedic. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I have genuine uh, anxiety that someone who is older in my family could, you know, contract an illness that they might pass away. Um, but we wanted to make it something that was uplifting. So, you know, there was a, a cool paradox there. And I, I think it's really unique. Um, and I'm, I'm really glad that you enjoyed it. Yeah, <laughs> me too. My, daughter, my daughter doesn't come out of her room. She's like 15. She comes out to like get a hug and get a snack. Like, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> she kind of went. And I was like, yeah, then it's good. <laughs> hey, can I talk about that track and my memories of it? Uh-huh. Well, I remember, of course, when COVID, we had been uh, playing Chill Bar Highlands uh, as a residency almost like once a month. And the last gig we had was right before St. Patrick's Day. And literally the next day, yeah. everything shut down. We were even slightly nervous about playing that last gig. I remember I go back to the country. Nick is in Louisville. Uh, we've had that track, the, the the music to the track for a long time. And every time we would go back to it, um, it would make us dance. And I was like, man, we gotta, we need to use that dance track for something, you know? And I remember us having a conversation about, hey, let's write what we're dealing with, you know? 
And then I would come to Louisville and stay and spend the night with Nick for like three or four days. And we would just like press, you know, just try to get stuff done while I was there. And it seemed like this was over a two day period. So we go back, we agree we're going to use that track. And then he mentions, you know, everybody's real down and out right now. It's real gloom and doom 2020. We're in a pandemic. Nobody can go out. Everything's shut down. Let's try to like uplift people. And then we're like, oh, we got that dance track, right? Yeah. And then we came up with line dance, you know. Yeah. And we, yeah. one of our friends was kind of hanging out at that time. And he has a really funny sense of humor. And he said, you know, if it's going to be a line dance, you have to shout at people and yeah, tell them tell what, them to, what do. to do. So that, that just sparked us both. We're, we both started coming up with yeah. all kinds Wash of stuff. Wash your hands. <laughs> Sing happy birthday. You know, don't touch your face. It was just, you know, it was, it was. And then we had one day to film the video and uh, everything was shut down at the time. And I was like, well, I got this awesome like bus. And then Nick was like, well, let's just go downtown to all these like Louisville landmark locations he he had the idea of doing it with the bridge in the background and also with the Louisville slugger bat and then uh we just went crazy one day and and had a real good time and just got to one the few people in there (laughs) yeah the few people who were downtown were all looking at us like what the hell (laughs) yeah and by the way we didn't really have like the dance part of it you were just making it up words we literally were making it up as we were filming it and it got better and better every time we did it (laughs) it's really fun to perform live too it is is. you know we've had a couple gigs since the pandemic some outdoor stuff and stuff like that where we've gotten to perform that and it was just so fun it has such a fun energy and afterwards people were like i love that song that was one of my favorite ones that you guys did you know and Um, yeah go ahead no, that was. Oh, I was gonna say it's so fun. It is, and and uh, another thing that uh, to go along with what Nick is saying is that it was one of the first ones that live challenged us to figure out how do we perform this live because we had overdubbed all these vocals and it was an uh-huh. electronic track. So basically, I went back and we took the track and left all the backing vocals in a lot of some of these that were you know that we did and perform them live to a track so that we could have a track plan then we play live over top of it then we leave the main vocals out and do the main vocals but you still have a lot of the shouty stuff in the background so that gave us a whole different perspective of how are we going to do this live and when we did it live and was like oh we can do this then it added a whole other element of fun and then we could actually do the line dance while we're shouting at people what to do yeah you are now tuned in to the Kentucky Beatniks live from Louisville, Kentucky, yo. And we got a new dance for you, and it's real easy to do, and some of the moves you already knew. So get up off your couch and shake your boom boom. He's coming to your town. He wants to take your mom down. He's coming to your town. He wants to take your mama down. Wash your hands. Sing happy birthday. And don't touch your face. I don't hug, I nod my face. Six feet back. Ring your bell every day. Vitamin C. Kentucky proud is how we stay. 
Ladies and gentlemen, and non-binary peoples near and far, we are now broadcasting Third Planet from the Star. And asexuals and transsexuals and country folk alike, we are gathered here on another dimension, a higher vibration, one filled with love and light. The drink at 10 bears and chill drummer yes but she also has this great extensive knowledge of production mm. and creating tracks electronically programming you know drum machines and things mm. like that so we've had you know it, that was something that probably for 10 years before I played with Jen I would be out playing music by myself and internally I had this longing that I wanted to work with another artist who could help me create that type of soundscape where you have you know you're playing live music you're playing it from your heart you're playing an acoustic instrument but you have this awesome drum loop or something in the background or you have programmed some harmony vocals or something like that and you're getting to sing over that and it just enriches it and creates such a, a cool soundscape that I was never able to really accomplish on my own. So mm -hmm. that's been another blessing of working with Jen. And, you know, it wasn't only the COVID hustle, but we did that with Holy Wine. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we've worked on some other things where we programmed sounds and then we were able to use that in a live format till we were still playing our organic, you know, acoustic instruments using our vo our voices um, very organically, but then you have this uh, this other awesome layer, 
And especially if you're playing a set, you know, sometimes some of our shows are like three hours long. Oh, wow. So it, it really enriches it to have these different soundscapes. You know, yeah. you're pre- we're, we're playing one thing that maybe sounds really, um, you know, really typically Americana or country. And then before you know it, we've got these like beats that we've programmed and there's harmony vocals in the background and Jen's rapping and playing drums and (laughs) there's piano on the on the you know track that's recorded and then I'm playing the guitar and it sounds like we have a freaking orchestra you know which is really really cool yeah and I want to talk about that a little bit too because I was always an electronic geek you know uh being I loved hip-hop you know Mm -hmm. everything pretty much from the inception of hip hop has been with electronics. And I was getting out of Louisville and, you know, uh, seeing these artists that were amazing. Um, I remember specifically when I first saw Ty Herndon, I mean, he had four people in his band and it sounded like an orchestra Mm -hmm. and I was watching him and I would be like, he's playing that to a track, you know, and you would not be, I mean, you would be surprised at how many artists that play instruments are scared to death of that um, and don't want to go anywhere near it. So that's one thing I loved about Nick is he was really open-minded to, mm-hmm. hey, you know, what if what if I took this track and left all these background harmonies and you sing your main vocal and then boom, you're harmonizing with yourself. And we mm-hmm. sound like, you know, a 20-piece band when we're two people. And he was willing to go there and do it live. You know, doing it behind the scenes is, and recording is one thing, but to do it live is a whole other animal. Anything could go wrong, you know. Yeah. So, uh, and and another thing is when I was coming back to Louisville, there was hardly anybody in Louisville doing that, which I had seen it in LA and New York and Chicago and and Mishfest and all these other places. And, uh, you know, and that, I was like, that's been going on since the eighties. So it's just a lot of people, you've got to know how to do it. So Nick was fortunate for me, open-minded enough to let us try it. And then, you know, and then we do it again coming up when we put out the revolution don't come for free yeah and i think a really beautiful fusion occurs with with jen and i because we do both have really strong influences from hip-hop um but i've always been personally i've been a little wary of that i can rap i mean i i know like every word to basically uh i mean at least like uh probably five outcast albums i could probably <laughs> rap i can rap every word to like the fujis the score you know like all my favorite hip hop albums i was raised on that and it really it was at a time in my life when i was going through some really dark times and it was giving me a lot of strength and it was giving me a lot of confidence to hear those words and be fortified by those words. But I, da- I, I did, you know, I, I consider myself for lack of a better word, you know, I, I try to be a, a, a woke person uh, for, for lack of a better terminology. I try to stand for social justice and things like that. And I was wary, you know, I, I never wanted to be this cheesy white guy who's up there trying to rap. I just didn't want to be that. But something really beautiful that happens when Jen and I are performing together, if we create something totally different, that's totally our own. So even if we are covering salt and Peppa, or, you know, we do like Lauren Hill, doo-wop, that thing, but we really 
do our own thing with it it's not just some cheesy white guy up there trying to sound like a rapper we're drawing from music that has deeply you know that we're deeply passionate about and that has really set our soul on fire but we're doing it in a way that's really authentic and true from our own hearts um, so as not to just you know appropriate or become this really corny copy of uh, something that you know I'm never going to be as good as Lauren Hill but I can be so beautifully influenced by her passion that you know that can feed my performance and I can you know then take that and run with it so I'm blessed uh, to, to work with Jen in that and, regard and I want to say same because I am the exact same way we're so similar me and Nick in many ways I was heavily influenced by hip-hop even though i was playing rock and roll most of my life like i was the motley crew guns and roses like let's rock it out you know and play as loud as possible and zeppelin influence and all that but i my true love was all this hip-hop that i was jamming out to you know little kim and Mm -hmm. just all these amazing female like hip-hop artists into rap and you know the tupac biggie phase and i again just like nick i didn't want to be like I want to be a rapper, you know, and a white girl rapping, and I don't want people to make fun of me. <laughs> but at the same time, I never excelled at vocals. I never worked on my vocals. I was always like a side player that just played drums with everybody else and could play a little bit of other instruments, but drums was my forte. So, you know, that just started coming out naturally. I started doing a solo project, uh, and thank God I was surrounded by all these amazing vocalists. Like Nick and like Beverly McClellan and Renee Jansky that I did a record with that was a vocal instructor. And they all were telling me, you've got this great vocal. You know, I had done radio since I was 16 years old professionally. Everybody my whole life has says, you have this amazing voice. And I'm like, but I don't sing. So the one thing that I could do was the hip hoppy stuff, which is just naturally happened. And with Nick, thank God, you know, he's very similar to me. And I just go with what he throws at me, you know, and I have been able to grow. I feel like a lot more with an artist like Nick because he is, he does excel at vocals and he does have this soul hip hop flair to him that I love in, in an artist, you know, so it's, it's made me grow as an artist, just getting to work with him from that perspective. Yeah. It sounds like you guys really complement each other in just the right way. And I, I, you know, there's a lot of musicians out there who look for that forever and they like can never quite, you are so blessed. Yeah. So blessed. I know. I know too. (laughs) So tell me about, speaking of blessed, tell me about Holy Wine. Yeah. Jen, do you want to start? (laughs) I'm like, well, where do we start with that one? That was one of the, that was one of the first that we really uh, tried to write to electronics Nick, I'm not for sure. You may have to remind me, but I I remember Nick sitting at a piano. He was playing this beautiful kind of uh, thing. I'm not even for sure where it came from, but it just naturally, really organically happened. I remember, you know. Yeah, Jen um, had pointed out uh, we had just been having conversations about um, performance, you know, as a mode of spiritual experience and how when you are performing you know church happens and it doesn't matter if you're an atheist 
or if you're Hindu, or if you were raised like me in the Pentecostal church, or it doesn't matter what your spiritual background is. I think there's a very undeniable fire that ignites when soul is tapped into and the music is pouring from that place. And, um, you know, we had been speaking about different artists who we admired, um, particularly people who we've worked with, like the Troubadours of Divine Bliss mm -hmm. and various people who it's very evident from the moment that they begin to sing that there is what we termed an anointing. Um, there's a special uh, complexity of the spirit that the music is just a vehicle for. Yeah. And so that is what we started writing from uh, was that place of understanding that performance and music are a spiritual experience. And when we are opening ourselves to be a conduit for this ethereal form of music, I mean, music is a mystery. You know, we, we have science to music. You can measure things and the time signatures and you can measure words and pentameters and different things like that. But those things don't capture the essence of the power of music. The power of music is ethereal. It's otherworldly. It's a mystery. It's an unknown. So that was where we started writing that piece from was, you know, um, writing um, just kind of about things that were going on in our life. Um, I have been struggling with a very tragic breakup and my heart was broken for years. I mean, I, it was like, I was crying every day over it and I cried for so long over it. I, I couldn't write. I didn't write poetry. Um, you know, I would perform, but it was like, I sort of stayed away from touching that emotion too much because it was too sensitive for me. Right. And so that song gave me um, a way of confronting that um, in, in a, you know, in kind of like in the church of music, you know, I got to yeah. take it to, to the altar of music and say, you know, deliver me from these feelings and heal this brokenness that I'm feeling. Um, but, you know, uh, I, I think that, that's the best way that I can summarize what that song meant to me yeah. and, and where I was writing from when we came up mm -hmm. with that was, you know, it was kind of like our queer, um, non-religious way of being conduits for the Holy Ghost. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And by the way, I love the hook of the lyrics of that, yeah, uh, that so Nick had come up with. And, and not only that, I do remember us talking about artist being anointed and for me an artist that is anointed is someone like the troubadours like nick already said who basically heal through their music when i hear them it makes me feel very spiritual and i feel like they heal something in my soul and i at the same time that we were writing that song had just come out of a multiple heartbreaks back to back you know i was heartbroken exactly like nick very crying behind the scenes every day and not understanding how to express it 
and I'm working with Nick, who's an amazing artist who is very emotional as an artist and knows how to expose that through his music. And I was like, you know, it opened a platform for me to, he would write a verse and then he'd throw it at me and say, no, you write your verse here and you come in here. And then I'd be like, oh, sweet. And so I wrote the, the little rap about my heartbreak, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and tried to make it kind of mimic his. And what's ironic is, you know, I've had people ask, are y'all singing to each other? (laughs) Which is funny. (laughs) I never thought about it that way, but when you go back and listen to it, it does from, it does from the listener perspective go, you know, and everybody's perspective is different because music is, you know, it's, uh, it's special between the listener and the writer. Uh, everybody has their own unique experiences when they listen to a song. It's a very personal experience songwriting, you know. Mm-hmm. And so you could ask one person what they got out of it, and it's going to be something totally different than we wrote about and, and vice versa. But, yeah, I remember I, loving that I actually had a platform, and it, it helped me heal a little bit through mm-hmm. writing that. I use writing music for me um, mm-hmm. as – and me and Nick are so different in this way – to me, when I write music, I usually write out of anger. Of course, music is supposed to capture emotion. Correct. And I usually write out of heartbreak and anger. And uh, everybody, when they meet me, you know, if I date them, they're always like, oh, you're a songwriter. Write me a song. And I'm like, you don't want that because it's <laughs> because I usually write after the breakup. <laughs> and then they're like, no, I don't want the song anymore. Right. But music to me, I use it as a healing therapy for myself. I write my frustrations and heartbreak into music. And then once I do that and I release it, I feel like it's gone. It's released for me. So from my perspective, I, a lot of times, you know, that hip hoppy kind of stuff comes out more Eminem. I'm not comparing myself to him, but Eminem has this more darker, like angry. angry, Yes. Yeah. And that's kind of, you know, where I was going with that. And I didn't realize that maybe that's an anointing. That's an anointing in itself, you know, and it's a therapy and yes. when you allow that to flow through you, it that can heal and help heal people as well who are going through the same thing. Um, but I think as I, you know, just kind of sit here and reflect on all the different songs that I've written solo and the songs that Jen and I have written together, even the more fun stuff like like the COVID hustle, there are so many elements to it that are my own prayer. They're my own way of connecting to the mystery, whatever that is. You know, I'm not, uh, I'm not about organized religion. I was rejected and scorned by that. I grew up singing and playing piano and, um, you know, being a part of music in the church. And I was essentially excommunicated from that station for being gay. And I've been rejected uh, so many times by that, that I, it led me to find my own way of doing that. But, you know, um, you, you can sit alone in a forest um, and just sing to the life force that exists within all things. And, it, it's a spiritual experience. You're singing a hymn um, and it doesn't, you know, follow any dogma or any religion. Um, but I think that that comes up a whole, whole lot for me um, in writing songs. And I've written a few songs uh, over the past couple of weeks and it, 
it just always recurs. It just comes through that that part of my heart and that part of my soul that wants to connect with the great divine mystery, mm -hmm. um, it, it tends to manifest in my songwriting. I don't know why it gets to my heart so strong All them holy loving words you said Subterranean, we were in the roots Growing up, moving through the trees There can never be another you and me Baby, there can never be another you and me I get sentimental in the mind keys There can never be another one for me
I love Leland Nick because of yeah, that Holy, reason too. I mean, Holy Wine was definitely that for me. You know, it was it's yeah. mine and Jen's flow. It's got some hip hop. We got the track going. Um, you know, when we jam it live, there's some drums. It can, we can move to it. I remember we were one of the only bands to ever get to play on the stage uh, where the drag performances take place at play. So we got to we got to be the the band who got to play on that stage. Awesome. And there was a lot of anxiety because we decided to open our show with that song Holy Wine. And that's a strange song. I mean, I don't I I have no problem dubbing it as such. A lot of my most favorite music, the artists that I look up to the most, Tori Amos, Outkast, Bjork, Radiohead, you know, all of these artists are very strange. What they do is very weird. Uh, they don't sound like anyone else. And if they're presented to an audience who are not familiar with them, you're going to get some quixotic type responses you know people are kind of like whoa what the hell is happening here you know mm -hmm. and I felt that happen because you know we're performing at play for as like a fundraiser for Kentucky and a pride and it was just this big old group of gay people you know and we're <laughs> up there channeling this kind of like shamanic um, energy <laughs> in this weird yeah. little rap song about heartbreak and uh so yeah i mean it's very strange and i wouldn't have it any other way that's what i love to do <laughs> i love that is strange i think it's my favorite one out of the three that jen said. oh thank you i love that I've, I've yet to hear that you know it's I, I will i will say too from a production standpoint we were just starting to work together at that point and and, and neither one of us i don't think had vocalized to each other that we're tormented by all this heartbreak you know in the community and whatnot but um from a production standpoint i remember we only had like one little microphone and it wasn't even a great microphone you know we put it in a room and we filmed it right there where he's get you know right next apartment yeah he's got a and i'm, there I'm playing my out of tune piano but that gives <laughs> yeah. it a richness you know it does though so it works yeah. it does. Well. i know it's like you did yeah. I know, and at the my one of my favorite things that sounds like we did on purpose in the production part of it at the very end, where he after he just goes to the piano part, mm -hmm. you can hear the the clump 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 on the piano, the staccato mm -hmm. like yeah, uh, you, know, you can hear, yeah, you can hear the, hammering. The, the, yeah. the hammering of the keys, and it's literally we didn't mean for it to be like that, but it just gave it another haunting aspect, you yes. know, yeah. Uh, heartbreak. I'm glad you liked it. I do. I really, I really understood that song. I had a rough end of 2019, and I was like, "Ooh, okay." <laughs> yeah. So did so did we. <laughs> it was I know I did. So, and uh, the last song you sent me um, has a great lyric in it. Um, but we'll, I'll get back to that. Uh, the revolution. The revolution don't come for free. Let's talk about that. Serious, more of a serious one. Nick, I'm yeah. going to let you start. So actually, I wrote um, the majority. Uh, so Jen did write some of the lyrics to that. Um, but the majority of the lyrics came from poetry that mm. I was writing 
downtown while uh, attending protests. And uh, I was very active um, in, in attending protests pretty much daily um, through much of, you know, last summer and uh, into the fall. And, um, you know, some, some things happened and life flows different ways. And I started feeling calling to um, take my activism sort of in different directions. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I hadn't, um, th- there, there came a point where I wasn't attending as frequently, um, but I did write that um, just sitting down at the protests and soaking things in and having so many feelings um, that I didn't know how to express. Um, And I mean, there, there were pages and pages and pages of poetry into that song. Um, But what we sort of did was just fortified and took, um, you know, we kind of, what, what we wanted to do, um, was to simplify and not make it too convoluted. And, uh, you know, something that is a cornerstone of protest movements. And I've been involved with protesting and uh, dissent movements since I was probably 19, 20 years old. So, you know, it's going on 20 years of my life. I've been a part of that. Um, and something that is really uh, a big part of it is chance, you know, and someone says something and then the crowd says something yeah. and then someone says something yeah. and then the crowd says something. Um, but also that shows up in spirituality. It shows up oh. in church. It shows up in praise and worship. And I'm also hugely in love with the yogic tradition of bhakti, which is kirtan, where you say, you know, like, uh, Om Namah Shivaya, and then everyone chants, Om Namah Shivaya. So you have these chants, these call and response chants, and it fortifies us, it energizes us, and it gets everyone in one mind, in one accord. And so um, what we did was just kind of took my poetry um, and we boiled some of those lines down till we could create a call and response a chant kind of feeling. And then, of course, you know, Jen had creative input and wrote some lines that she wanted to put in there. And we just created um, essentially something that could be a meditation about revolution and revolution, not just politically, um, not just on a social justice scale, but a revolution of the soul, a revolution of the self, you know, um, understanding and realizing that we all have a daily opportunity to transform ourselves, to recognize things about ourselves that don't entirely match up with authentically who we are inside of our hearts and realizing, you know, I've been taught this or this phrase has been passed on to me through generations of conditioning, but I'm not going to use that phrase anymore because that does not reflect my heart. That does not reflect who I am as a person. And so that's what that song was about for me was it was just a call for everyone to say the words along with us. So if you listen to it, you know, that that song gets a little bit long, but I didn't want to care. I, I didn't want to care about the length of the song. I wanted right. it to be effective in the way that 
we say a line and I want the listener or the audience to, even if they don't vocalize it, I want them to echo it. And I want them to say the line in their mind so that they are having a similar experience to, to what I'm experiencing. But probably the most potent thing um, that came through that for me was realizing the, um, the hereditary element of so much bigotry um, through my bloodline and my family and, you know, being raised Christian and being taught, you know, we don't treat people differently and we don't treat people unkind, but then having this really ingrained bigotry and racism and xenophobia and homophobia and all these types of things. Um, I don't talk to half my family. Yeah. <laughs> you. I, I get it. It's, that's why there was that line. Oh, I'm going to butcher it. I'm going to butcher it. Cause I'm thinking too hard about like it. racism on our family tree. The blood. Yeah. Yes. Like on the, on the like family blood tree. running down the leaves, like racism on our family tree yeah. and then blood I mean, running down the streets. Like it, racism. It, it, it literally stopped me in my tracks. Cause half the time when I listen to the music, I'm like, I'm paying attention. I'm taking notes, but I also have a kid. Yeah. And that, that line that hit me somewhere because it's been really hard, but, um, after, and, and I, I do not talk politics on the show. I, I'm very honest about that because I don't want to cut other people off from learning something yeah, or, or gaining something. Um, but like my mother, my father and my grandmother and my aunt are the most open-minded liberal loving people, even though my grandma would say she wasn't, but she was. Um, but then there's some other people in my family that don't even know the truth about me or my daughter. Um, so when I heard that line, I was like, holy shit, this is going to be the last song I talk about because I want people to really think about that line before they listen to the song, because that's true, especially yeah. in this area, rural areas of the United States, you know, they, they are trying hard to progress. They're trying to learn, but it is so deeply ingrained sometimes that it's toxic. Yeah. I was weeping when I wrote that. I mean, literally I, when I wrote that, that poetry, that was a part of a whole, um, actually I started out, the poem started out writing about, um, I was sitting there and I was overhearing this loud music playing and it was R-E-S-P-E-C-T, yeah. what it means to me. And I was thinking, hey, people rock that song, Yes, you know, but how, how many white people are just totally oblivious to the struggle that black Americans face. And um, so, you know, there was, there, there was that whole line in there and, and that um, blood running down the leaves and blood running down the streets like racism on our family tree, um, that came from that poem. And I mean, I was weeping when I wrote that, but something that so deeply has occurred to me through, you know, this, what we're seeing is just an exposing of wounds. These mm -hmm. are things that have been there for so long, um, but social media and different movements and various conversations are shedding light on these things. People don't understand just how to admit that you know, that is a part of our history. I mean, there are literally people in my family 
who will straight up deny, no, we're not racist. No, that's not ever been a part of who we are, you know, all, all this kind of thing. And that's just not factual. You know, it, it is a part of who we are. It's a part of who we've been raised to be. And denying it is doing ourselves a disservice because we're failing to grow by not admitting it, you know? Yeah, Jen, you will you speak on that for a moment? Yeah, I would love to because right, um, like <laughs> <laughs> I'm just let, well, Nick is such a great speaker. Right, and, he really is. <laughs> yeah. So basically uh, what I remember from that track is I had gone, we were in the middle of 2020 COVID. The Breonna Taylor ca- case was going on. I'm struggling with my health. I'm in the country yeah. watching Nick's social media and him go to these protests wishing I could be there, but physically I just couldn't chance it. Um, because I could barely walk and I was trying to figure out, yeah, if, if you don't know listeners, I'm, you know, recovering from a spinal cord injury where I was almost nearly paralyzed for life. And, uh, I am week almost 11 now of having an operation, three of my discs taken out and a metal cage put in my neck. So during all this time, I had not discovered that I was nearly paralyzed when we were, you know, when I come up to visit Nick and he's presenting this to me. But I've been watching him go to all the protests, wishing I could be there and, you know, have a voice as well. And also, I had worked in the news department for many years. Um, I worked in media from 16 to 30. And by the time I left, I was carrying a pager from the morgue on my side covering all the murders in Louisville. Yeah. So I literally left that to because my it was just not good for my mental. So I was very thankful that I didn't have to cover that case. Um, but I was very familiar with LMPD and everything going on. So when he presented, hey, I got this poetry, and he literally had a bunch of different stuff. And then we were like, oh, yeah, let's do this. And we he had the idea to, hey, uh, you, he's got all this protest footage. Let's make this video and this song about this. And I, I was really excited to do that. And just like you, when I read and heard him say those that line about, you know, uh, like blood running down the leaves or blood running down the street, like racism on our family tree. I got. I think I, I, well. I think I was even crying when I read it to Jen, you know, before yeah, we made was. it yeah. into a song. Um, yeah. But the, another important element of that song, and, you, you know, it might not be everyone's favorite, but um, we're, we're channeling some divine energy in there. And there is a moment where we're chanting some kirtan. It's Sanskrit right. mantra um, that we're chanting various ancient names of God. And to some people, it might be like, wait, I thought this was a song about, you know, like social justice or like, where is this coming from? But to me, it was really important that there was an element of healing in there. Our chants yes. don't, our chants don't all have to be, you know, blood running down the streets. I mean, that's a very visceral and a very important point to make. But we need to remember to take time to chant, to connect to whatever divine source it is. And, you know, as I said before, I would hope that it would apply to everyone, even an atheist, um, that there is just this divine energy, call it nature, call it the universe, whatever it is, but it is healing. And when we tap into it and we channel that, then we start to understand things in a more compassionate way. We start to understand how to forgive the wrongdoings and the ignorance that 
uh, those in our past have exhibited that we ourselves have exhibited. You know, there was a time in my life where I had an elder black teacher who had to take me to the side and tell me, honey, it is not okay for you to say this, or it is not okay for you to say that, you know, and we have to be willing to tap into that healing space of saying, you know, there is all this violence, there is all this tragedy, but we can take this moment of realization and use it to vibrate ourselves higher. Show up, live proud, 
would you give someone who wants to get into music? Okay. Well, I'm, a, I'm a music teacher of 14 years to, and mostly five, age five and up. So uh, that's what I do professionally. I teach, by the way, I'm going to give a shameless plug, uh, generationstudios.com. If you have kids, um, I've been a music teacher for a long time and I will teach, I've now moved that to online since COVID. So if you've got kids, hit me up. I'm on a sliding scale so everybody can take on their financial, you know, whatever they can throw and whatnot. So, um, I, uh, love teaching music and I love it when the young ones get in because, you know, you're never going to regret playing an instrument later on in life. Never. You're, you're never going to know everything there is to know about music because it's so vast. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I, if I had to tell anybody anything, I would say play a musical instrument, you know, learn to sing. Uh, because I always say this, uh, you know, if, if these kids out here that were having to deal with these school shootings and were so frustrated yeah. with their daily lives or their home lives would just have a creative outlet to be able to express their frustrations or express their emotions like we talked about earlier, um, then the world would be a much better place. You know, a lot of times we find that we've got all these emotions trapped inside and kids and adults don't know how to get that out properly. Well, music mm -hmm. 
and art is the perfect platform for that. Yes. Um, so anytime someone can be an artist, I highly encourage them to do that and just to keep doing it. And I have begun to use a, a, a while back. I found out that what I was doing was really therapy. It's expressive yeah. therapy, teaching therapy through music, you know, and healing people through music. And again, we talked about that in Holy Wine with the anointed artists uh -huh. and stuff. Um, you know, there's nothing that you're going to regret literally about learning music and to play an instrument or anything. So I would just say, get involved and do it as much as you can, whether it's a side project or it's something that just calms your mind when you come home. Uh, you know, and a lot of people don't know how to be by themselves uh you know and just be in a space of quiet because we're so busy with all this yes you know stuff going on every day with online and we got phones now and just you know you mm -hmm. take a phone away from somebody and put them in a dark room and they're going to go crazy probably but not if they have art and they have some way to express or they can write it or they can sing or they can play an instrument you know or they can paint you know yeah. so um my advice was would be to do it first and foremost believe in yourself be original and true to yourself and just do it as much as possible. That's my, that's my take on it. Yes. I, I totally agree with that, Jen. And, um, you know, the practice is important. Giving yourself time to do it every day. Uh, if it's not every day, every week, how, however often you can give yourself um, time to do it, but you do have to, leave space in your life for it to happen you can't say oh i want to be a singer or uh, i i i used to have this practice of uh shoulding like i should do this oh i should write a song about that oh i should record myself singing this but i was mm -hmm. shooting on a shelf because i was shooting in my head but i was mm -hmm. not giving myself time to do it so, you know, in connection with what Jen is saying there, giving yourself time to do it. Um, but I'm, I'm fortunate that, you know, I get to teach students sometimes. I've taught voice, I've taught piano, I've taught guitar, and by no means am I trained. Um, but I have, you know, helped some young people along their path, I think. And um, one of the primary things that I always impart when I have a lesson with a student and something that I would advise anyone who's interested in being a performer or a singer or an instrumentalist is the word play and what that word means to be playful, to not you know, when a, when a kid plays, if you have some Legos or if you have finger paints or if you're, if you, if you have on a cape and you're out in the yard pretending to be a superhero, you know, there aren't bounds or limits on that. You're not really concerned what people yeah. are going to think about you or how they're going to interpret it. So I think that creatively, we have to give ourselves license to play. And it just so happens that that word very literally corresponds with music. Playing music is a very literal thing. But remembering to put that element of play into what we do and not making everything such a, a discipline or such a, you know, for me, 
there, there have been years past. I mean, if we had gone back four or five years ago, I probably would not have been brave enough to record the songs with Jen that we've recorded saying the things that I've said. I would not have been brave enough to create these videos and put them out on YouTube. And I mean, I realize that like every single person I know is not seeing this, um, but some people I know are seeing it. And there used to be a, a lot of instilled shame in me. I used to have a lot of deep anxiety about, you know, um, people who would not approve of some form of what I was doing with my art. And, you know, it, my, my perspective in that wasn't so much that I was uh, feeding into the shame aspect, but I thought I want my music to reach those people and I want my music to touch those people too. So, you know, just my, say my evangelical family, for example, it was like, I, I was cautious, like, oh, I don't want to create something that might alienate them and that they wouldn't be able to feel the effects of, you know, what, what I'm trying to get across. But in the end, you just have to let go and play and just do what you do. You know what I mean? And you'll find yourself, I mean, write crappy songs. It doesn't matter. Write a crappy song, write 100%. five crappy songs. The next one might, might be amazing, you know? So we can't be afraid to fail. We can't be afraid of what people are going to think. And we can't be afraid to be playful and to just allow ourselves to explore our imagination and explore all the different inspirations that come to us. And, um, you know, and just circling back to Jen's point and ending on the point of making yourself open, making yourself available, putting up that antenna for the muses to be able to communicate with you and to, to breathe that inspiration into you, mm -hmm. um, that takes some time, you know, I love binge watching TV. I love, you know, doing various things in my life that don't have to do with music. But if I want music to come through me, then I have to make space for that to happen. Yeah. And I have yeah. to create a time for practice right. um, so that those things can occur. So Action. that would be my Action. advice. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And last thing, any shows coming up? I know we're still kind of, we're at the end, what I hope is the end of COVID with that. <laughs> right. I can't take it anymore. But are there any live shows coming up that you guys are doing? We're not, not, we're not booked. Not for the public. I, I okay. think that our next aspiration, and I think Jen would probably agree with me on this, um, in the near future, we are going to get some time to get together and have, you know, some creative space together. And that will likely manifest virtually. Um, watch for us to be releasing new songs that we've written together, music videos, or, you know, we like to do a lot of like living room type performances yeah. where we're just jamming and then we just turn on the, the camera and we catch it. And, um, you know, those yeah. are performances in, in themselves. I actually love to do the virtual performances, you know what I mean? Was, uh, because they're so authentic and it gives, it, it opens up your audience from not just yeah. being local 50 yeah. people that go to a bar to being millions and billions of, you know, billions of people. Yeah. And if it's on YouTube, then it stays there forever. And who knows, like 
my nephew's grandchildren might watch it one day or something. I know, right, exactly. Thank, thank God for it yeah. though, because I don't know how musicians would have gotten through this without yeah. all these options. I don't know well, how I would have gotten through it as a fan without my favorite musicians releasing things virtually. Oh, it's been, and it's been yeah. rough. Yeah, and can I just say this? One amazing thing to come out of this is that it put all musicians and artists on the same playing yeah, field. There's no more. They're no not on tour right now. Everybody's oh. sitting at home in their living room trying to figure out how do we do this? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it put me and Nick on a platform with Beyonce, you know, like, it's, I mean, not, it was the you know, we'll never be Beyonce, answer. but you know what I'm saying? It is a levelizer for artistry because mm-hmm. we're all, we all are dealing with the pandemic and how do we deal with this? Well, we either create and make music videos and music for people to buy, or we sit in our living room and make some kind of show out of it. You know, there's no other way to get through it. So hopefully one day we'll get to play, uh, you know, in front of people again. But honestly, I've loved it. I have loved it. I think most true artists, the best work always comes out of seclusion. Always. Look at Anne Frank's diary. Famous things that were written. Look at these songs that were written Look when at the people were secluded. That, that we exactly. after the Black Plague. I mean, just painting after painting yeah. after painting. After you know, the- they're all fat chicks eating on a couch, which I am totally okay with. <laughs> <laughs> me too. That's me. By the way, after, I love this quote, after the Renaissance, or after the plague came the Renaissance. And it's true, so stay yes, tuned. You're going to yes. see an explosion of music and art coming out this year, I guarantee it. Alrighty, everybody, that was episode 26 of Sound Pollution with the Kentucky Beatniks. If you like what you heard from Nick and Jen, please make sure that you follow and support them and all the links I have provided below in the description section. Uh, Another shout out to my first VIP patron, Kathleen. For more information about Sound Pollution, please go to my website, which is soundpollutionpodcast.com. Follow us on social media and make sure that you please follow like subscribe and share to sound pollution on any of the listening platforms you are using and be kind make some noise